We've been in this series uh, for the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven weeks uh, called Renew, Living Life as It Was Divinely Designed. Now, some of you have forgotten that we're still in the Easter season. Quite literally, people forget that Easter continues for seven weeks before we reach Pentecost. Many of you think that right after the Sunday of Easter, Easter is over. But let me tell you, the resurrected life continues far past just one day. And so we believe that as we've entered this series, series, Renew, Living Life as It Was Divinely Designed, is important. Because we looked at some of the scriptures and some of the stories and some of the things that Jesus had to say following his resurrection about how life was meant to be lived. And so this morning, we're going to give you a new perspective, literally, about those things. But I need, I need some volunteers this morning, and they're actually not volunteers because I voluntold them. So I need Ron and Jim to come up here this morning real quick. Oh, they didn't know they were coming up here, so they did volunteer without even knowing it. All right, gentlemen, we have, come on up here, come on up here. Now, what do you notice about Jim and Ron that they have in common? Okay, they're black. What else do they have? Oh, they have glasses. That's it. We have a little test for them this morning. Ron, why don't you step up here for me? Just right here, this, you know, the powerful spot here where God anoints all his people. And I want you to look at that screen. Take off your glasses for me. And I want you to read those letters for me. I. Oh, wow. Oh. Mm-hmm. V. Get there. V. Uh-huh. M? Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's it. Yeah, you're, you're terrible. <laughs> what does that say? It says, I love my wife. She is wise. <laughs> and then it says, I need glasses. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jim, you come up here. We have a slide for you. Let's see how you do. Take off your glasses. Oh, no, you can't put them back on yet. We've got a point here. Okay, can you read for me, Jim, what that, that says? <laughs> uh, it looks like I. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, and I don't want to cheat here. Is it a D? Well, you're cheating, but yes, you're right. W I. Why don't you skip down to the one, two, three, four, fifth line? Can you read that? Aha! So it says, "I love my wife even more than the drums." All right, no, we're here. We're not done yet. We're, we're, we're Jeannie and Debbie. Jeannie and Debbie, I need you to stand up. Why don't you guys stand right next to each other? Keep your glasses off. Uh, kind of do a spin every once in a while. You know, just right there. That's good. Stand right there. Stand next to each other. All right, good, good. Ron, can you tell me where your wife is standing? Oh, yeah. Right there. She's taller. Oh, she's taller. Oh, so you can't see that far. What about you, Jim? Can you see your wife? Uh, yeah. Where's she standing? I, I can see her. She's off to the my left. Okay, all right, you guys are good. Turn around real quick. Turn around real quick. Ladies, I need you to sit somewhere in the in the congregation. I don't wear Hide yourself. Now, I need you guys to turn around now that they've hidden themselves, and I would like for you to find your wives. Feel free to look around. No way. What about you, Jim? Can you find her? Um. All right, why don't you put on your glasses? Can you see her now? I don't know. She blended in. Oh, good. Oh, there, there she is. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a seat. Have a seat. Give our, our, our volunteers a hand this morning. 
Well, the reason I had them up here is I want us to see the power of perspective. That when we take off our glasses, when we, when we begin to view life other than the way that God had designed it for us to be, things get a little muddy for us. And so, Ron and Jim, thank you for serving as an example. But I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of the power of perspective. Now, my point of view of perspective is this, is perspective is an angle, an attitude, or, 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 uh, um, it's an angle or an attitude about someone, something, or a situation that either empowers us or immobilizes us. Another way of saying it is that our perspective about life either brings life or burdens life. Do you understand with me on this? That our perspective about life either brings life or it burdens life. And so I know, and you know, and we know, that because we live in life, that because some of us live in reality, that our perspective shapes the way we view and we see the world around us. And what I find funny is often in life, perspectives are so crazy that you could give someone the same exact situation or circumstance, and you can get two completely different perspectives. Let me give you an example this morning. Uh, You have come this morning to worship. You've come to this worship service. And I love the perspectives that I get following the service. It often goes like this. I'll have plenty of you come up to me following the service and say, Pastor, that was an awesome message. And then I'll have other people come up and say, Pastor, we're rooting for you. We're on your side. We know you're inexperienced and you're new. And, oh, God bless you. Someday you'll get this preaching thing down. Now, how is it? That all these people can hear these, hear, hear the same message, but come out with two completely different perspectives. I mean, I think about this. Following Sunday, some of you have some of the craziest and nicest things to say following the service. But you have perspectives about the prayers, the music, the lighting, the way that we do things, the way that we have leadership, the renovations that we're about to make. All of you have perspectives. But the interesting thing I find about it is that our perspective about church can either be a burden to us, Or, this can be a time where we learn to understand the fullness of life. What you also don't understand is that your perspective, and what I'm learning as a leader, is that your perspective really shapes my perspective. Here's the thing. There could be a hundred of you that walk out and tell me, Pastor, this was a great service this morning. But there could be one of you that would come up and say, I didn't like, bam. And for the rest of the week, in my mind, all I hear is that one negative voice. And for me, the tension is this, is that worry always outweighs the wins. That there are a lot of things that happen on Sunday that, that are a win for us, that are a win for God. But, the, but, but then there are people who come up and they begin to talk to me about their perspective of things, and then it makes me worry that we're not on the right track. And so this morning, this, this is dangerous for us. I mean, think about this. I can ask two of you who made uh, an investment in the same stock, and and it plummeted to to absolutely nothing, and I would ask you your perspective, and one of you would say, I've lost my world today. And the others of you would say, it's just money, it'll come back. Right? There were some of us who, who as we get older, we say, uh, we have this perspective that I just can't do it anymore. But then I think about people like George, who has the use or lose policy. You either use your legs or you lose them. And he's at an age now where, where he still golfs 18 holes probably three or four times a week. Students, where are my young people? I would love to see if you could walk 18 holes with George, not just once, twice, but three times during the week. I'd love to see it. But George's perspective on life has kept him young, even though, George, how old are you? 
83. How many 83-year-olds do you know walk the golf course every week? Parents, I mean, I could give you the same kids. And there are some people who would look at the kid and say, my goodness, they are a, they are a problem. They are a barrier to the, to the goals that I have in life. But then there are other parents who would look at the very same kid and realize that their greatest investment to the society and the world around them is their investment in their kid. They realize that for them, shaping and forming their kid into the person that God has called them to be is the best investment that they can give this world rather than fulfilling their own wants and needs. Where are my students? We've got a few students over here. Right? School. Some of you really, really, really dislike school, especially if you're a senior like Gage who probably has senioritis at this point, right? Kind of, sort of. Some of us really didn't do well in school, and we didn't like school. We didn't value school, the formality of it. But then there were those other people who really, really loved education. And we really didn't like them because we were envious of them. Because we don't like people that quite literally get varsity letters in grades, right? Nobody nobody likes those people. I, I also think about people, if I were to ask people who were looking for jobs, I would get different perspectives there. Someone would say, this is exhausting. I am tired of looking for a job. But I could ask somebody else who's also on the job hunt, and they would say, this is this is amazing. I'm getting to figure out what I want to do in life, and I get to figure out what it is, what skill I'm good at. So the point being this this morning, that each of us has a perspective in life that either brings life or burdens our life. And this morning, I think John wants to help us understanding that he wants to give us an understanding that the right perspective gives us a right understanding of what it means to live the divinely designed life. And we've been saying this, that if you are living the divinely designed life, then you have a purpose. But I just want to say this this morning, that that your purpose can only go as far as the power of your perspective. Your purpose can only go as far as the power of your perspective. And so this morning, we're going to be diving into the book of John, and John gives us an amazing perspective on a story that no other writer gives us. We know this about John. Many of you know this, that John had a special relationship with Jesus, and it was so special that he was let in on personal conversations. He got to see things and witness things that other people and other gospel writers didn't get to see. And so John this morning is going to give us not only about a perspective about things Jesus values, but he's also going to give us a perspective, a three-dimensional perspective of a character this morning in the story that begins to tell us things not only about us, but about how life was intended to be lived, about how life was divinely designed. So this morning, John wants to give us a new perspective, but he wants to say to us that we have to rethink, retool, and renew our perspectives around the new thing that God is wanting to do today. If you would with me to John 5. John 5, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One of whom was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there, and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked 
a really crazy question. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. The day on which this took place was, notice this, the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath law that forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow? Who told you to pick up your mat? The man who, who was healed had no idea it was Jesus. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, I love this, I see that you are well again. Stop sinning or something else worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, John paints a background for us, and we have to understand, he doesn't specifically name the, the festival that's taking place, but scholars seem to argue that it was the festival of Pentecost. And so the Jewish people would gather around during this time to celebrate this festival of Pentecost, which was about a celebration of God giving the law to Moses. Now, the law was intended and designed, the commands that were given by God, which were given to Moses, were designed to shape people into the image and the identity of God. That was the purpose of the law. And so, so, so they're beginning to celebrate this very thing, that we're celebrating the law God gave us, that, that we're celebrating a people who are learning what it means to enter into the image and identity of God. But, and so why they have the law close to their hearts, John begins to point out that close to the temple is this pool, Bethsaida, which was also known as the house of mercy. Now, if you're taking notes, write that next to the scripture there, Bethsaida, which is house of mercy. And John begins to tell us that there's a tension from the very beginning of the story. You see, this pool that people got in had a, had a subterranean stream underneath that would cause bubbles to come up through the pool. And if you look in your scripture, you'll actually notice that you're missing a verse in your scripture because that was added later and we took it back out. It, long, long story. Anyway, the point being this is that this stream would cause bubbles to come up in the pool. And the people believed that an angel would stir up the pool and the angels would cause this bubble. And so when the bubbles would come up in the pool, that was the time when people who needed to be healed would jump in to the pool and get healed. Well, the problem, though, is this, is that, that the people who think they need to be healed are ignoring the ones who are desperately, desperately, desperately in need of healing. And so John provides us his perspective today, and he gives us a viewpoint of Jesus that shows us what Jesus values the most. But he does it through the blind man. And so this morning, I want to take one character, the blind man, and give us a three-dimensional view, because my guess is this morning is that we all relate with the blind man in some way. And so the first, first group that I want to talk about is the nobodies. And this man had been laying here for nearly 40 years. And we see Jesus' question, do you want to get well? And what strikes me about Jesus' question is not the absurdity of the question, but rather the absence of the question for the last 38 years. That Jesus asked this question because he knows that nobody has taken the time in their busy life to ask him if he wants to get well. In the midst of their preparation for the festival, in the, in the, in the midst of their preparation for temple cleansing, 
in the midst of trying to make themselves right and healed before God, they completely ignored the people who needed it the most. They believed that somebody who was blind, somebody who was a beggar, was beyond salvation. And so if he's beyond that point, then why not just walk in over him? And so this morning, maybe some of you here feel like you have been walked over by the religious folks. There are some of you you here today who have said, I will never, ever step foot in a church again. Ironically, you're here, but maybe you've said that before. There are some of you who, who have said, I went into a church, and people began to judge me. They began to look at me. And I felt as though I couldn't live up to the religious rules that they had, the laws that the holy ones keep. Maybe you have tattoos and piercings, and people have looked at you funny all along, and you felt like they were just giving you this evil stare. Maybe some of you have done something wrong in your past, and the church has literally called you up front to say, admit to the church what you've done. There is something to confession but I don't know that there's something to confession in front of the whole church. And maybe maybe that has really hurt you in such a way that you've said, I'll never come back again. Maybe there are some of you here today who who have felt like the church was just a place that hurt you. Maybe you feel like everybody else seemed to get it and they were just walking over you. Let me start by saying this this morning. Let me apologize for the churches and the people who for years have ignored you, who have made you feel marginalized, who have made you feel exploited in front of other people, who have looked at your past and said you are unworthy of being healed. Now, I know we wouldn't say that to this church, but there are other churches that quite literally have that viewpoint. And let me apologize for those churches. Let me apologize that that you have been misguided and an understanding of who God is. Let me apologize that, that we as a people have not expressed Christ's love in a way that Christ expressed his love on the cross. But in the midst of those apologies, I want to ask a question that maybe nobody has ever asked you. Do you want to get well? Because I believe this morning, you have entered into a house of mercy. That God has meeting you at this place, in this moment, to extend His love to you. And let me just say that, that I am enthralled with a God who, who loves His people so much that He doesn't force Himself upon you, but rather sends His Son to die in place of you. And that the power of the resurrection, something so moving that, that Christ has defeated death, is so moving that I hope in some way it moves you to new life. We have to understand that resurrection is about life being flipped upside down, that the way that you have perceived life throughout life is no longer the same way when we believe. And so this morning, maybe you feel like a nobody. But this morning, let me ask you, would you say yes to Jesus and not the religious I hope that something that you come to terms with today. The other group that I see within the the, the blind man this morning are the excusers. I don't know how else to say it. Excusers. They are full of excuses. Now think about this. Once again, this man has been laying here for 38 years. But what's interesting in the story is that he's still alive. 
He's been there for nearly 38 years. He's not dead. So maybe there are some folks who are taking care of him. But the point is this, is that perhaps he's lost his hope. Perhaps he has found despair in the midst of his blindness. But maybe he's gotten to the point that he no longer wants to be healed because he knows that he is dependent on other people. And he knows that if he's healed, then he's going to have responsibility in life. That if he, be, he begins to live life as it was divinely designed, he will have a responsibility, whether it's providing for his family, whether it's finding food, whether it's making money. He's going to have responsibility. And instead of saying yes to that wonderful responsibility, he has now taken the perspective that it's better for me to lay here. This is my excuse. It's better for other people to take care of me. Now, there are plenty of you this morning that have tons and tons and tons of excuses as to why you will never say yes to Christ. There are plenty of you today who, who will use the excuse that, well, my job doesn't allow me to, to, to be here on Sundays. I don't have time for that. My kids are really, really busy. They've got sports. They've got music. They've got all these things. I can't make it during that time. Maybe some of you find that, that following Christ is a bore, that if I follow Jesus, I won't be able to do all the fun things that I used to do. And so your excuse is that if you all send a yes to Christ, that you're going to be boring like every other Christian. Let me just say this. I don't know. It's been a party ever since I said yes to Christ. I don't know about you, but it has been for me. Maybe some of you are, are working through some hurt, and, and you feel like you're angry with God because he took a loved one from you. And so that has become your excuse from saying yes to him. Maybe some of you just think that maybe the mess on the cross isn't enough to, to, to wipe up your mess that you've made in life. And so you feel like that in order to, to come to a relationship with Christ, you have to get everything right and in order. And that becomes your excuse because the reality is nobody ever gets their stuff in order. Ever. But here's the point of this story, is that when Jesus meets him, he says, do you want to get well? And the man says, of course I do. And then he says, well, get up. And so this morning, let me just say this. If you have been full of excuses your whole life, you will never experience life to the fullest. If you've been full of excuses your whole life, you will never experience life to its fullest. And so the point this morning that he wants to make to us is that when he says, get up, it is the man who on his own will grabs his mat. He grabs his pallet and he gets up and he walks. Now this is important. It's one thing for us to recognize our own helplessness. But it's another for us, from our own will, combined with the power of God, to make an amazing miracle happen. When we begin to mix our will of saying yes to God and the power of Jesus Christ, it's amazing what miracles will begin to happen, and I think that you'll begin to experience life as he divinely designed it to be. But I don't believe in a God who forces himself on his people. I don't believe a God, in a, if, if God is fully loving, he would never force somebody to follow him. But that's the beauty of it. He has already met you where you are. He is already extending a hand. And all you have to do is get up and extend your hand out to him. Quit being the one who's full of excuses. So here's the third person I see in, in the blind man. There are some scholars who argue that the man represents Israel. 
and that the five porches that are mentioned in the Bible represent the five books of the law. And in these porches, ill people lay. We see that. But I love what one commentator says this. He says, the law could show a man a sin, but it could never mend it. The law could uncover a man's weakness, but it could never cure it. The law, like the porches, sheltered the sick soul, but it could never heal it. And I think what he wants to say today is that the law is limited. That the law is limited in its power. And what Jesus is beginning to do is he's doing something for the man that the law could never do for him. Jesus is the fulfillment of that very law. But the problem in this story is this. Is that the law which was given to the people of God to to shape them and form them into the image of God, has now become God. What I'm saying is that the law was given by God has now become God for the people of Israel. And now we have this massive celebration around something as simple as the law. And my fear is that things that are used, that are designed to shape us into the image of God, often become God itself. The church is a means to understand who God is. But my fear is that for many of us, our relationship with God has been about church. It's been about the legalities of the church. And any time that we make church a priority over God himself, we miss out on where God wants to extend his grace and mercy to those around us. Our perspective, when we make something other something God, other than God, our perspective is skewed. We can't read signs. We can't even recognize our own spouses, which means we can't even recognize the people who are in most need. So I, I have to confess to you this morning that in this very part of my sermon, I am, I am convicted. I am Sorely, I am, I am so convicted this morning. I was, I was working through this message early this morning. And God always talks to me in the shower. I don't know why it's the shower, but that's, that's the place where we have our time together. Y'all have your own time wherever it is, but that's where my time is. And I was convicted about something that happened this week. And it, I, I found that quickly. I'm the religious one. That something maybe other than God has become God in my life. We received a phone call from somebody who has multiple kids on the, on the brink of being evicted from their house. And we've already helped them out once. And I don't want to enable people. I don't, want to, I don't want to make excuses for people. But man, I was, as I was working through this part of the message, it was almost as if God said to me, are you the one who is walking over the poor? You see, in my mind, when I talked to the lady, I said, we have a lot of people who call here and need help, and we'll help you the best we can, but we can only go so far. But in my mind, I'm thinking about all the things, all the expenditures that we have in the church, that, that all these things were beginning to take priority. Well, we got this, we had Easter, we, had, we, we got some renovations that we're, we're, we're doing. There are a lot of things coming up. We have all this money that needs to be, to be spent on, on, the, on these things. And it was all those, it was as if God was saying, are you, are you kidding me? This lady needs 
and you're willing to allow her to be evicted because you feel like the church is, is a priority over compassion? I know some of you aren't going to agree with me. Even, my, even Janelle this morning looked at me and said, hey, listen, you helped her out. You know, you can't enable her forever. You've got to do something else besides give her money. And I agree. I totally agree with that. And so we're working on that plan. But, but my point is this, is it's so easy for something other than the love of Christ to dwell within us. And I think that's the point at the end of the story. This part of the story actually isn't part of the lectionary reading this morning, but we decided to put it in here. Jesus later found this man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. But then he says this, Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. I'm I'm convinced that wherever you are in your faith, Jesus can easily slip away when we don't seek Him with everything that we have. When we don't desire God with everything that we have in our life, He can easily slip away to the point where we don't even know who God is. This man didn't even know who healed him. He doesn't even recognize Jesus until the second time that he meets him. But the tendency in our faith is to make faith about our holiness and not His holiness. It's about making our faith about our righteousness and not His righteousness. And I think that often in our faith as God's people, our perspective about who Jesus is is so skewed that we miss out on the purposes that he has for us. Your purpose only goes as far as the power of your perspective. So my question this morning is, who is it that's guiding your vision? Through what lens are you viewing the world around you? I love the Revelation passage this morning that, that we are marked by his image. But what image is marking you? What is it that, that shapes you? Here's what I want you know, to know today. That, that living life as it was divinely designed means renewing our perspective so we can fulfill our purpose. That putting on the perspective of Christ places us in a position of compassion. And I think that in many ways that, that when we live life as it was divinely de- designed, that we view everyone as valued. Sabbath, the law, becomes the issue for the people. And what I find odd is that, sure, God takes a Sabbath from his work, but God's judgment, his mercy, and his love never end. What are the limits of our compassion? What are the limits of our love? Whose perspective do you have this morning? You know, last week, we challenged you. We said, be the one to win the one. That there's somebody in your life that we would like God to reveal to you that over the next year, you would begin to invest in their life. And for those of you who joined us in small groups last week, we said, well, some of you said, we've heard that message a million times. And I said, well, where are all the millions of people? You've heard it a million times, but where are they? So I've challenged our people that that joined us last week in our small group. I said, I want you to take this next week and I want you to begin to pray about who it is that God wants you to mentor, to build a relationship 
so ultimately they can come to know Christ. And maybe that doesn't sink in, but but I pray this week that you continue to pray about that. But not only that, but God gives you a new perspective about that person. You know, it's interesting. Some of you don't know this, but our we have tasked our board. Two members each month will go out to visit thriving churches. And so last last week, Pastor Mike and I went to visit two different churches, and Pastor Mike gave me a wonderful, wonderful report. But one of the things that struck me about Pastor Mike's report was this. He said, when Karen and I were in the, the foyer area where everybody was having coffee and drinking and talking, hardly anybody came up and talked to us. But then he said, I wonder what the response would have been if David and Laura would have gone. We, we may not have, have been the kind of type of people that, that they're looking for. They may not value older folks as, as much as they value the younger folks. And that broke my heart. And as I began to talk with Debbie about this, Debbie said, what we don't realize is that Pastor Mike has family. What if Pastor Mike had seven kids? And those seven kids had grandkids. All of a sudden, you have about 20 to 25 people that on the fringe of meeting Christ, but because we didn't value them, they have missed out on what God has in store for them. So my point this morning is that when we begin to look at people, we pray that God gives us a perspective no matter who they are, that they are valued as human beings and created creatures of Christ. Everyone has value in the kingdom of God. And so, are we ignoring people like Pastor Mike and Karen because they don't meet our standards? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm beginning to pray that God would fill this church with people who need to know Christ. Would you join me in that prayer? I'm, I'm praying that God will help me see people in a way that Christ sees them so they can be reached. Because everyone, everyone is valued in the kingdom of God.